Thanks for joining me, Kerry Hammond, for the sixth episode of Food and Drink Business Bites, a podcast that brings food and drink businesses in the Highland Council area all of the latest events, resources, funding opportunities and support available through the Highlands and Islands Enterprise Food and Drink Business Support Service, part of the Northern Innovation Hub Food and Drink Tech Hub project. I'm joined today by Aline Bruce, Director of New Nutrition Business and Fee Stott, the NPD Manager at Aquascot. Welcome, ladies. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Aline, can you tell us a little bit more about your presentation at the Food and Drink Trends and New Product Development Workshop? As a business, new nutrition business focuses mostly on health and nutrition trends. So everything that I presented at the, the workshop, at the event, was connected to uh, nutrition and how we see things developing in the world of food and nutrition in the next sort of year to two year space. So I talked through um, our key trends for 2023. So we have five mega trends, which are naturally functional, uh, weight management, sustainability, snackification, and um, fragmentation, which is also linked to personalization. So I talked a little bit about those trends because these really are the kind of five must-dos that companies really have to at least bear in mind, if not actively action um, in their communications around their, their food and drink products. And then moving on from the mega trends, I talked through just a few of the key trends. So every year we produce a report called 10 Key Trends in Food, Nutrition and Health. And I talked through, I think, about five or six of those key trends. So that covered things like the kind of ongoing battle between ultra-processed and real foods. I talked about protein, both animal protein and plant-based protein, and all of the developments that are happening in, in those markets. I talked about mood and mind, because mental health is obviously right at the top of, of many people's agendas these days. It's a real growing concern, um, both at a kind of national and at an individual level. So I talked about the things that food and drink companies are trying to do to build awareness of mental health and kind of look towards mental health solutions in their food product development. And I talked a little bit about things that have changed since the last report that we did. So that was around cost of living and people making different choices and making compromises um, in, in terms of their food choice. I also talked about ultra-processed foods and, and how that has also come up the agenda. And then finally, some kind of early warning signs that there are some growing concerns, particularly in the States, um, around seed oils and what that might mean for the future of, of product development. So a kind of whole range of, of different topics there. It was uh, quite a lot to fly through in the short time that we had. It sounds like you covered a huge amount of really valuable information can you help me understand the difference between a mega trend and a key trend? The mega trends are really things that are part of the fabric now, part of the, the furniture. They, they, they do provide growth, um, but it's almost expected. Consumers expect these things of food and drink manufacturers now. So it's not necessarily something that will make them pick up your product. But if you don't pay attention to these things, then they might leave your product on the shelf. And sustainability is a great example of that. 
you know, it really is an expectation now that companies will do whatever they can to connect to sustainability and help consumers make more sustainable choices. So if your product doesn't link to sustainability in some way, then that could be a barrier to purchase for, for the consumer. So that's the mega trends. And then on the, the kind of key trends side, these are the, the things that are really driving growth. So these are health trends that, that companies can actually connect to and which should drive growth in sales um, and, and revenue. And new nutrition business, what do you do day in and day out? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so we're an insights organisation. Um, we publish a range of different publications. So we have New Nutrition Business, which is kind of our flagship journal that's produced every month. And then we do a, a kind of kids version of that called the Kids Nutrition Report that's produced quarterly. We also produce a range of standalone reports. So we kind of do a deep dive if we see a particular topic that we're interested in and that our readers are interested in. We'll explore that more fully in a full report. We also do quite a lot of case studies and um, podcasts and video content as well. So that's all available online through a kind of subscription-based service. And then the other half of our business is around consultancy. So we do quite a lot of consultancy helping brands um, and manufacturers and ingredient companies kind of really hone in on the opportunities in food and nutrition and kind of And where did your personal interest in nutrition come from? I have, through accident or design, spent most of my career actually in the nutrition space. So always in the, the kind of food industry, but I started my career in the very late 90s and immediately got involved in organics, which was really quite growing at the time. And that connects quite strongly to nutrition. So it kind of just developed from there. And Fee, you also spoke at the Food Trends and NPD workshop. Can you tell me a little bit about what you presented on the day and your area of interest? Yeah, sure. So I work for Aquascot, so most of my area of interest has been around fish. <laughs> I, I, my friends say that I sometimes have gills rather than lungs. Um, so I've been in the fish industry for quite some time since I much graduated in the 90s. I spoke about um, sort of my understanding of the definition of N- definition sorry of NPD and what, what I think that that means and then talked about the key stages very simplistically of developing new products. So around those being sort of concept scale up and then launch which sounds very very simple to, to summarize that in three words but it, it you know that could be a whole year or various years of work. Um, and then I went into a bit more detail around the different steps and the things you need to consider within each of those. So what do you need to think about when you're at concept stage? Ideas, filtering ideas, looking at trends, working with people like Aline's business or other external pieces of data with your with your customer, with your end consumer. And then thinking about the scale up side. So all the different steps involved in that with regards to ingredients, you know, new machinery, working with your 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 factory, your different sites, what kind of packaging um, equipment do you have, all these kinds of considerations, shelf life, um, and then ultimately about, about the launch and, and making the product safe and legal um, to be to be on the shelves. And that's for us, that's working with one of the major retailer brands in the UK. Um, we're a dedicated Waitrose site up in Allness in the Highlands, producing and developing products for 
a major brand and they have standards um, and they're quite often very clear about the types of products or types of ranges that they're they're looking for. Um, we have constraints in our business in terms of we are a ready to cook business. So we everything that we do, the customer must cook that before they can consume it. So we're restricted in that way in terms of the types of products that we can produce. But also our, our um, location can be quite challenging sometimes in the Highlands of Scotland um, compared to some other processors down perhaps more in the, the southern end of the country around ingredient challenges and shelf life and you know just getting things up to us for us to be able to work with them and then that product to be dispatched back down to the Waitrose depots and Waitrose stores with enough shelf life for consumers to to get what they want um, and to get a product that's that still meets our standards um, at the end of its shelf life so yeah it, it's it's really good it's really interesting um, and and the Waitrose team are, are, are a great team to work with. Um, and then the last thing I did was talk through a case study where, where I talked about um, a product which was launched for barbecue season for Waitrose and just a little bit around um, just how the process works and the interaction and the different stages with the Waitrose um, trio, as we call it. We would work with the buyer, so from a commercial point of view, the product developer, so that would be my one-to-one, -one, and then the technical manager so there's always a sort of trio as you're working through products together. You mentioned that you started off your presentation with a definition of what new product development is. Well this is my definition <laughs> rightly or wrongly um, so I think it is the process of designing and creating a product using a series of critical steps to bring it to market so, so basically it's project management if you take the, the you know the sort of brass bones into it, that's that's what it comes down to. Um, and and existing product development or EPD is is just another stream of that. So that's where some, you might look at something where, for example, they've got a cost a cost restraint, um, or you might not be able to access an, a specific ingredient, and you need to really look at that or reevaluate. Um, so that's what we would call EPD, and that so that falls onto my remit as well. You mentioned there that perhaps uh, an ingredient you know being harder to get or not being available might be a factor in considering existing product development what other factors do you think play a role it, cost absolutely cost I mean it, you know we're going through the cost of living crisis as we all know so um yeah I mean shrinkflation has been bandied about in every consumer's language um, so there are, you know, businesses like ours would be looking at opportunities to either launch new products that meet specific um, consumer end requirements. So, for example, that might be for Waitrose, it's their essentials range. You know, they might ask us to look specifically at a product that would fit within the constraints of that that um, brand within their own brand. Or um, we might be asked to look at pack weights. We might be asked to look at um, pack configurations, packaging changes to try and reduce costs. Um, lots of different factors. And, and things like shelf life will impact products as well. So we might look to um, retest product to see if, if, it, if it could be given more shelf life, for example. And Arlene, from your point of view, looking at trends what factors of a changing consumer market may impact and 
put a business in the position where they consider existing product development or new product development? Well, right now, as, as Fee mentioned, the cost of living crisis seems to be the one that's um, at the top of everyone's agenda. And that can be because consumers are making different choices now. So when they had slightly more disposable income, they might have been choosing different products or experimenting a bit more. But with less money in your pocket, consumers tend to be less inclined to take a risk. So that might mean they might not want a big pack of something. They might want something small just to, to try it. So that in itself will impact you know, the pack sizes, as Fee says, that, that they have and how many, portion size, how many portions are in a pack, for example. Um, it may mean that they'll make sacrifices for certain kinds of products, but others they'll continue to pay money for. So almost every decision is going through that kind of cost of living filter at the moment, and consumers are making judgments on whether they want to stick with say Heinz beans or get the supermarket own or whether they're willing to experiment with a new product or not so all of those things um, really really do influence product development and, and choices that that um, that companies are making and I think uh, you know I think a lot of decisions and few might have a different view on this but a lot of decisions that companies make in terms of developing new products it's really kind of customer driven so you may have a pipeline of, of ideas that you want to develop that fit certain customer trends, but then if the customer has a different view on, on what that might be, and again, cost of living has raised up the agenda now. So people are taking different decisions in terms of, of the, the product development pipeline. So things like we've seen a lot of projects that we've been working on recently around mood and mind and cognitive health. They've kind of taken a step back while companies work on things around the, the cost of living and reducing portion size and just making a more cost-effective offering for the consumer. We've we've spoken about cost of living, which, Aline, you've mentioned is one of those key trends that you discussed at the workshop. And you've touched a, a little bit there, Aline, on the fact that some other key trends or influencing factors, you gave the example of mood in mind, sometimes the priorities for businesses will change based on the pressures of different trends and what's happening in the market that they're in. I'm really interested to explore one of the mega trends that you mentioned, uh, which is snackification. Aline, in terms of the advice and consultation that you know you as a as a business provide, where do you think the key opportunities for snackification are? I think um, snackification makes you think of snacks. And it is true that a lot of what we talk about when we talk about snackification is around snacking in general and kind of on-the-go eating. But I think it's broader than that. I think it's about making things as convenient as possible for the consumer. And I'm sure that's a big part of, of what you do at Aquascot. Anyway, even if you can't you know, just open the packet and eat the, the product right away, the ability to, I don't know, put it in an air fryer now, which seems to be the way things are going in terms of cost of living. So making sure that the, the product that you um, develop is as convenient as it possibly can be. And in terms of snacking in the kind of traditional kind of snacking sense, there's so much opportunity now in these to kind of link in with sustainability and kind of use upcycling of waste 
products. So things like fish skin, we're seeing quite a lot of fish snacks based on puffed fish skin, for example. It's quite an, an Asian product, a lot of Chinese and Korean products, but we're seeing that making its way into the UK um, and other European markets more and more these days. Um, and it's got that kind of dual message around the health benefits of fish and um, good fats from, from fish skin itself. And then also the sustainability angle as well, you know, making more from, from what we have and reducing wastage. I guess seaweed as well, Arlene would sort of fall into that. Seaweed, seaweed crisps, you know, from a from a seafood point of view. I mean, that's, yeah, that's sort of, we do have an element of our business that that um, works on some seaweed products. So, yeah, they they do pestos and seaweed crisps and that, and um, that sort of thing has really blossomed, shall we say. Absolutely. It's so on trend, actually. Um, the whole kind of idea of food from the sea in general um, is, is something that consumers are really, really interested in. And as there are more consumers who identify as food explorers these days, really kind of trying to seek out new tastes and flavours and textures. And those kind of marine based products really fit into that. It's a, a really, really strong trend. Um, Aline also mentioned um, we do think about things that, that will make things easier for the consumer. So whether that's a product being presented in, in a foil tray ready to pop in the oven, if it's an encroute that's already on the parchment paper because that's the best possible way to, to cook the product. Things like yeah, looking at air fryer. We've got we've now got an air fryer in the development kitchen, which we play around with and experiment with. So there's yeah, there's lots and lots of avenues to, to make life easier. For a small business, an SME, who might not yet have a listing in a, a supermarket or who, who are experimenting with product development, what advice would you give them in terms of how they consider insights and trends and how they apply that information through those key stages? For me, it's really about understanding the other types of product that are out there. So we would call that benchmarking. So what does everyone else do and why is your product different? Does it need to be different? Maybe it doesn't need to be different, but, but maybe it's in a marketplace where it needs to be different than that. And how would you differentiate your, your product? So really having a look at basically what does everyone else do? What's the competition doing? Who are your competitors? They might not even know that. You know, is it is it online? Is it um, at farmer's market? Is it in the retail supermarket? Um, understanding that kind of thing really so that you can then benchmark your product and then start to think about what's really ultimately what's different about my product and then how you would sell that in to wherever if it is a a, a larger listing or you know even trying to get into perhaps like a, a range of farm shops or something like that or garden centers you know you need to be able to sell your product so benchmarking for me is the an understanding your competition yeah I think that's a really important point actually because I think sometimes the idea of insights can be quite intimidating. You kind of feel that they cost a lot and, um, you know, as a, an SME, you might not have the budget, you might not know which um, companies to go to to get these kind of insights anyway. But there's always there's so much that's available free and possibly in my role, I shouldn't be saying things like that. But going to a supermarket yourself and just looking at where your product would sit on the shelf and what's sitting around it, you know, even down to the colours of the packaging that's on there, what are the pack sizes, um, what prices are those competitors charging, um, what price 
as a you know a headline price, but also price per kilo or price per liter, just to see where you fit. And as as Fee says, to benchmark yourself there, and looking also for any obvious gaps, and that could be around a particular format or um, a flavor maybe that that you think would work well in that product that is currently missing from the current listings. So all of that's free to do. It just takes a bit of legwork and a bit of time, but it's really important no matter what size of company you are to just do that legwork and constantly be looking at, at what's out there and um, what the consumer sees, trying to look at the product from the eyes of the consumer and, and see what they think. If you could leave businesses, small businesses, startups, new businesses or existing businesses with a key tip or a key thing that you think would really help them when it comes to either understanding trends or developing new products, what would you leave them with? Oh, that's a tricky one. I think um, I would say keep an open mind and keep reading and keep your eyes open as much as you can and just feed everything that you see and you hear into um, your thoughts and your development process. Um, I think I think I I would probably start with keep the faith, because it's it can be a long and well travelled path, especially if you know someone's having their first foray into their um you know the larger sort of retail environment, even the smaller retailers, but you know still very large for small businesses. So yeah, so keep the faith. It's it's um. You might not feel like you'll you'll get there when you're trying to speak to people in some of these slightly larger organisations, but just, and 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 remember that you know your product better than anyone else does. So as long as you can talk about it confidently and uh, and deliver in adverted commas, you know, a product that is that is great, and you know that you have unique selling points. You've researched your market, um, and I think it's important you know, that people will have pride in what they're what they've developed and what they're offering to that end consumer. Um, so yeah, so keep the faith, keep plugging away, you're doing a grand job. I have found our conversation genuinely absolutely fascinating. And luckily for anybody listening who missed the workshop, the full workshop was recorded and is available on the HIE website. So there's an hour and 50 minutes there where you can listen to Aline Fee and some other speakers speaking in depth, going into all of those points that they've touched on during this podcast. And I would really encourage anybody listening to go and watch that full workshop. Fee, Aline, thank you both so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to, to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode of Food and Drink Business Bites, please subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to find out more about anything mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes for more information and links. This podcast is brought to you in association with Highlands and Islands Enterprise Food and Drink Tech Hub Business Support Service, a Northern Innovation Hub project funded by the City Region Deal.